Our scripture tonight comes from Philippians. It's Philippians 2, 4, and 5. It's Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Please be seated. With you tonight. Thank you, Stan, for the wonderful songs you led us in. And Brother Perry, thank you for that prayer. You know, you said something in that prayer. I don't know if I've ever heard it said that way, but I liked it. May it be easy for us to repent. You know, we ought to see things in our lives and say, you know, I need to change and let that be easy. Let that be an easy decision. Thank you, brother, for that. Perry also alluded to something today. 26 people were killed today and 20 others wounded. 46 people were shot. And the shooter shot himself. That made 27. And that's a total of 57 people were shot today at a church. You know, we pray that uh, we can come together. We've, you've heard it all your life. We pray that we can come together, not be molested, not be tormented. Let that not be a prayer of uh, redundancy, just something we say mindlessly. That is a prayer we need to pray. And I just, as an elder of this church, I want to remind you once again, I said this a year or so ago, we have a plan here. In the, and I hate to talk about it, but it's, this is my family and I love you very much. And I know you feel the same way about me, so let me reiterate something. In the event of an active shooting here, we have policemen, we have everything in order the best we can. And in the event of any shooting, I want everybody in here to go out these doors right here. As fast as you can go, get down, go out these doors, and go to Broadway. And if it's not safe here, go on, and we'll find you later. But get out of here and go this way as quickly and uh, as, as, as fast as you can go in the uh, horrible event if something like that did come. But we do have plans in effect. We have your best interest in heart, and, uh, but we have to rely on uh, God too. So with that, tonight I have chose a subject. Danny read two uh, verses out of uh, Philippians 2. I'll read more in that text. But tonight I want to talk about paradoxes about Jesus. Things that Jesus was and things that he said and the paradox of it. And I'll give you an example. The example I'm going to use is the same scripture that we read in, uh, in Philippians. Jesus emptied and humbled himself. And yet in that same passage... The paradox is, but God exalted him. He emptied himself and humbled himself, and God raised and exalted him. If we read more of that passage, it says, uh, Each of you should not look only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, he came to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every, name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. See, he emptied himself, and he humbled himself, and look what God did for him. Look what God did with him. He exalted him to the highest place that there is. And I want to be looking at stuff like that tonight. You know, he was God, and he was always God. But he was manifest in human form for, for mankind to behold. And it was for our benefit. He took on the form of weak man and humbles himself before God, even to the death, that he might bring salvation to his beloved creation. He's our example to seek others' interest over our own. And Paul says this in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affected with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. I wonder how well we do on that. You know, it says, look after your own interest. I can answer that. We do pretty good on that. We do look out for our own interests. But what about the interests of others? You know, and, and Perry, once again, you said this. Our life is short. Man, I mean, we just, I was a, a young, good-looking guy just the other day. And look what's happened to me. And I'm not joking. Look what's happened to me. I've just looked up, and all of a sudden, I'm old. And I was young. I know these young people have a hard time understanding that. You know how you feel? You feel like, you, you know, you're young and the world's your oyster. Well, you'll feel that way when you're old, but you won't look it. But you'll still feel that way. Our life is very uh, fleeting very quickly, isn't it? And we need to really take on these principles that the Bible teaches us for our benefit. I've got nine of them pretty fast, and then the lesson will be ours. You know, he began his ministry. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John. Came up out of that water, spirit descending upon him as a, of a dove. And then what, it does, what does it say? The spirit took him away in the desert. And there he stayed there 40 days and 40 nights without eating. I have gone 30 hours without eating. And I was starving. I felt like I could eat the wallpaper off the wall. I don't know what it'd be like to go 40 days. I don't know why he did that. I can't answer that. I can't answer. I know that there's no doubt some um, attribute to fasting. But 40 days, I don't know. But Jesus did that. Let's see. When did Satan tempt him? Oh, yeah, that's right. After the 40 days. When he was starving. That's when he tempted him. You know, see, that's what Satan does. He catches us at our lowest point. And then he brings on temptation. And we know that story very well. But that's not the reason I brought it up. He hungered. He started his ministry by being hungry. But yet, what does he say? What's the paradox? What's the contrast? I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. That's what he is for us. John 6:51. he said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Let me just go on to the second one. The second one, he ended his ministry. He started it by being hungry. And we talked about why, 40 days without eating, but yet he's the bread of life for us. And the second point I want to bring up is he ended his life by being thirsty. And, you know, it shouldn't Have any of you ever had something bad happen to you, a wreck, car wreck? Uh, and I, I see you girls and boys with casts on your arms, different ones, and sure we have. But with every trauma, when you bleed, 
when you lose blood, it creates a tremendous thirst because you've lost your body fluids, your bodily fluids. And I think about Jesus on that cross. He was scourged before he went beat badly with a cat of nine tails, and they were experts at it. You can imagine the loss of blood there. And then they matted a, a, a crown of thorns and stuck that on his head. And I'm sure they put them in his head in such a way that that bled. And then he was forced to carry the heavy beam that he would later be affixed to and the trauma and the pain that went with that. He had nails run And he crossed his feet and had nails run through his feet. And you can imagine the blood loss there. And right at his death, he was thirsty. And the Roman soldiers... Out of mocking, they offered him sour wine, which he refused. He died thirsty. But yet, the paradox, the contrast is, in John 4, he told the woman at the well, he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. If we thirst for righteousness, he, give, he quenches an eternal thirst that we have for righteousness if we will so seek him out. He was thirsty. But he became living water for those of us that would obey. Jesus, number three, was weary. But yet to us, he gives us rest. In Matthew 8, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, I mentioned this Wednesday night. I think I was teaching Wednesday night. I mentioned that I watch a lot of National Geographic and things about the Holy Lands and those, those places over there. And 2,000 years ago, your average person, family, would have lived in a two- or three-room dwelling and those rooms would have been small eight by eight ten by ten our mud rooms that we have at our home would be bigger than most of that I, I really wonder if we understand how we live versus how people live then and I think about Jesus we looked at the point that he had at least at least six siblings he had four brothers that were named and then he said he had sisters plural so at least two or more and he being one would have been at least seven. There were at least seven people in his family. And uh, the inference in scripture is that his father must have died long before his ministry. And have you ever thought about Jesus never, his mother, if her being a widow woman and having those children, I know they were, most of them were probably grown, Jesus being the oldest. But have you ever really thought about it? I've rented or owned some little hovel outside of town or something in Nazareth. I don't know, but I doubt it was so. When you read Isaiah and you read the account of Jesus, it wouldn't have been anything spectacular, would it? He says in this, in this verse here in Matthew 8, he talks about the animals. Really, in a way, feel, uh, fare better than he does. The foxes have dens. Birds have nests. He had no place to lay his head. And if you study the three and a half years that Jesus was in ministry, you know him and his disciples uh, oftentimes slept in the open. They slept in, the, in gardens. They slept in and around the Mount of Olives. Many times they slept in the open. And that's our Lord. But yet he says of us, him, and we'll find our rest. 
What a Savior. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 30 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He never owned a house. He never owned a biting place. But we do. But yet he offers us rest. One who never had rest offers us rest. Fourthly, Jesus paid tribute to Caesar. Yet he's king of kings and lord of lords. Matthew 22, verses 17 through 21, read, read this. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil interest, he said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used to pay the temple tax. And they brought him a denarius. Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then he said, To them, give to Caesar what's Caesar, and to God what's God. You know, Jesus didn't come to tear up this world or disrupt governments and stuff like that. He did. He came to bring his own message about a kingdom that was eternal and a kingdom that was uh, for us, for those that would believe. But he didn't try to to, uh, cause dissension in this world or usurp authority that the civil uh, governments had. In verse 18 of uh, John, in verse 36, talking to Pilate. Pilate's confused because he's a worldly man. He doesn't have any spiritual uh, thoughts. Uh, He doesn't know the Jews. Even when Jesus was talking, he said, well, what am I, a Jew? I'm not a Jew. I don't know your Jewish stuff. You know, I'm just a magistrate here trying to get the bottom of something. And he kept going out and he kept telling the people, I don't find any reason to accuse this man. But they were all stirred up. They wanted his life. And we know that. We've studied that many times. But the Lord says something to Pilate. And I want to read what he said. In John 18, 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered. But now my kingdom is not from here. And that just tells you something. Jesus didn't come to undermine the world order, and he taught to obey the laws and obey obey the governments and pay the taxes. But yet 1 Timothy 6.15 says he's Lord of lords. He's king of kings. He's the most greatest man that ever lived because not only was he a great man, but he was God, the son of God. But do you see how Jesus is? What a contrast. What a paradox. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. If you live in this country, you live in Spain, you live in wherever, you do whatever those countries do, but you follow God because he is God. He is Lord of Lord and he is King of King. Fifthly, Jesus was accused of being demon-possessed. And you know, I know he didn't find any humor in it, but it's humorous almost when you think of the logic behind it. They would see him do things, and then the, those, uh, those Jewish leaders hated and despised him so much because he was, um, he was, he admonished them for their false teaching, and they despised him on the strength of it. But he would do a great miracle, and they couldn't understand it, and guess where they'd said he would get his power from? 
from the devil. And Jesus said something. And he just looked at it logically. If I get my and then I cast out demons, does that make any sense? That's, uh, that's like cutting your nose off to spite your face. And he said something that we quote all the time. A house divided won't do what? It can't stand. How can Satan give me power and I drive out demons? How is that going to work for Satan? And it wouldn't. And yet this same man that was accused of being demon-possessed drove out demons from a man named Legion who had many, many demons. What a paradox. What a paradox. Jesus wept. Number six. Yet he wipes away all of our tears. You know, and I've used this many times preached on it, taught on it, used it at funerals. But if you want to know how much Jesus loves you and how sincere and genuine he was, then think about this. His best friends that we know of, his best friends on earth, two sisters and a brother, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, great friends of his. And he tarried in a city that was away. And they came to him and they said, your friend's in a bad way. He needs you. But he tarried. And he died. And he went to him and you have the conversation that he has with Mary and then Martha. Or Martha and then Mary. And he knew in five minutes he was from the dead. But yet, when he looked around and he saw their grief. And he saw their, their misery. And think about yours. He knows when your heart's breaking too. And as a human being, I don't know so much when I was a kid. But I notice it now. For one thing, as I get older, I guess my heart becomes more tender. And I can weep more now than I could say as a young man. I think men are designed, probably, they go in the military at 18 or 19. It seemed like from the time I was 18 to maybe 35, uh, my feelings were not, I couldn't readily lay my hands on my feelings like I can now. But I know this much, and I, and I don't apologize. I like being tenderhearted. But something, I'll hear something, something like you do, something that breaks my heart, and I cry, and it hurts me. It's hard for me to get over it. My face is puffy, the emotions of crying, and uh, it makes me really feel kind of ill and kind of sick the rest of the day. I've heard women say, it makes me feel good. Well, it doesn't me. I don't feel good after a long, hard cry. I feel, uh, I feel wore out and I feel tired, and my emotions have uh, been frayed. And maybe the Lord was that way too, but he wept with those people because he loved them. Those Jews that witnessed it said, oh, Look how he loved him. And what did he do five minutes later? He raised him from the dead, but he showed his compassion. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five 35 says Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. But in Revelation 2, wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I look forward to that, and I know you do too. 
Secondly, Jesus was sold. I said secondly, number seven. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Yet he redeems the world. What a contrast. Matthew 26, verse says that one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And they counted out to him 30 silver coins. But yet in Ephesians 1, we read in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, it reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. What a contrast. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and yet he redeemed the world through sin. He became poor so that we may become rich in salvation. What a Lord. And number eight, Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he's the good shepherd. Isaiah 53, pressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yet in John ten eleven we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in verse 27, he said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Are you seeing the picture? He's poor where we can be rich. He's without a home where we can be And just on and on. What a Savior Jesus is. What a Savior he is. Lastly, Jesus died, yet by his death, he destroyed the power of death. What a, what a paradox that is. He died so that he could destroy death and the hold that it has on you and me. I don't know about you. I hope I do. I hope I could speak for you. You know, a lot of times you say something to someone says, wait a minute, you don't speak for me. I hope I speak for you in this. You can speak for me in this. There's nothing worse than worrying about death. I couldn't sleep at all at night. I fear God, see? I fear God in that respect. I fear the hand and the wrath of a wrathful God. So much that it's polarizing. But I don't want to fear that anymore. I fear death, or could, to, to the point that it polarizes me. If I think about dying and staying there and it, it taking dominion and power over me. And you know, the world was a little unsure about death. Prior to Christ coming and dying. There was some confusion there. You know, we looked at a passage this morning, and I need those passages. You know, we, we, he was talking to the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. And he takes them back to a scripture that they would have very much been very familiar with, and you too. He takes them back to the burning bush passage. Where Moses is, is told to take his sandals off because he stands upon holy ground. And he said, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And he reminds them of that. He said, he's the father of the living. And think about the, the grammar there. I was, not in what he said, I was. He said, I am the father of Abraham. They're alive. They're a living. And you know, he died so that he could take the sting and the victory away from the grave that had us all bollocked up, that had us all fearful. We can live this earth. We can live on this earth fearless. As far as our salvation, we don't know what tomorrow You know, that church in New Brunswick probably never expected what happened today. And we certainly wouldn't expect something like that either. But we know we have an appointment we're going to make, and that appointment's death, isn't it? It stalks us all. We can blame our father, uh, Adam, for that. But death is going to come to us all. And uh, we don't have to fear it because he was a conqueror of death. Hebrews 2, 14, 2 and 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those all their lives who were held in slavery by their fear of death. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have no fear of death. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation. Now, therefore, now, therefore, now there is no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus tonight, there's no fear of death. He has conquered that for us. Well, the greatest parable is he died for us so that we might live in him. And I hope you're doing that tonight. I really do. I hope you're doing that. Second Corinthians 5. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. We will follow suit if we are faithful to him. Salvation is in the church. Ephesians 5, 12 said, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offer and sacrifice to God. And Ephesians 1, and 23 says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and in every way. Well, brethren, tonight we're hearing God's word about Christ and the paradox that his life was. He not only sacrificed his life, blood, took his last breath on that cross, but as we read about the life of Christ, think of the sacrifice that he made. He never lived in a house like you live in. He never enjoyed the food that we enjoy. You know, how many of us have a tooth problem? How many, how many of us go to the, uh, uh, to the podiatrist if we have a foot problem or the back guy if we've got a back problem? Whatever. We, we, you know, I tell Sherry all the time, I say, you know, we'll, she'll go to Super One and bring in this or that. And I say, you know, we eat better than the kings in Egypt. Have you ever thought about that? We have refrigeration. We have uh, air conditioning. We have heaters. You know, we live good. I wonder if we wonder if we, how many suits of clothes do you have? You know, I've known people that had the clothes on their back. That's all they ever had. And, you know, I, I kind of, really. And so when I left home, I had $10 in my pocket and the clothes on my back. And that's all I had. That's never happened to me. 
I bet it's not happened to you. I wonder sometimes if maybe if we uh, if we geared it down a little bit, maybe we'd have a little better understanding of God. We live in such luxury, but He didn't. You know, when you read that, I hope we don't just read those passages. And say, boy, that had a that had a good cadence to it. The foxes have holes. Yes, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He lived and died that way. A total sacrifice for your benefit and for mine. Tonight, if you're subject to you, if you're not a Christian, you could have a change in life, change in destiny too. We're appointed once unto man to die, and then after that, the judgment. We are all going to stand before a righteous judge, and we're going to give an account of our life. The words that he spoke, the words that Jesus spoke, will judge us in the last days. We have the guideline by which all things are going to be measured. We have all the instruction we need. All we've got to do is obey it. Brother Perry, thank you. I hope that easy thing for you. I think that that's something that we ought to concentrate on. Is there something in my life I can repent for? I hope I do it very easily. I hope I'm very willing to do that after knowing what Christ has done for me. And if you're not a Christian, not you can be. You need to believe in God. And you need to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And you need to confess that before men here that you do believe in Jesus Christ. You need to repent of those sins and those things that have made you alienated to him. And we've all had those things. And you need to obey the gospel. And he says to reenact the death, burial, and resur- resurrection of Christ through the baptism, through the watery grave. Die to your sins. Die to yourself. Be buried in that water and come up out of that water a new creation, one that serves God and loves God. And then having done that, repent of sins as they come up because they will come up. They come up all the time in every one of our lives. We're to walk in the light and acknowledge that we do have sin. And we do. We think things that we shouldn't. We fantasize about things that we shouldn't. And then, worst of all, we say and do things we shouldn't. Let it be easy that you repent from those things and repent gladly because of what waits for you. What waits for us all is something very blissful and it's eternal and God wants us to have it. What a wonderful Savior Jesus is. There's the invitation. There's the lesson. If we can help you in any way, come as together we stand and sing.